Batman and the Creeper. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Chris Franklin. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, Batman and the Creeper from The Brave and the Bold, number 80, cover dated November 1968. And Chris, we decided on an almost random order so we could hit various artists and writers. But this is the first time we actually cover a Neil Adams issue. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Neil Adams kind of, you know, made his big Batman splash in the Brave and the Bold to the point where Julius Schwartz was like, why is everybody saying the only real Batman's over in Brave and the Bold? <laughs> so. Right, of all things. <laughs> Especially given what it was like before. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I'll say this now, even before we get into it. Like, I read Brave and the Bold in order, okay, basically, because it was not available in my area on the stands. And it ended soon after I started collecting comics. I missed it. On paper, I have like two issues, three issues, something like that. Just random stuff. So I read most of it through Showcase Presents in the black and white. You know, trade paperbacks. Mm -hmm. All these books are just the Bob Haney years. And and there's a real cognitive break, (laughs) I guess, between what was happening before Neil Adams and then what happens with Neil Adams. Yes. It's a rather silly strip And suddenly, Batman is, like, solid. A very different art style. Mm -hmm. But Bob Haney is still doing the Bob Haney stuff, but with the art is, is like, going another way. And sometimes, like, the script seems to say one thing, and the art shows another. And I think we're still in that that area with number 80. Yes, definitely. I mean, Neil Adams would ignore the script and draw the scene at night. A lot of times, even though Bob Haney said it was taking place during the day and things like that. Yeah, he, of course, he... He started working his, you know, creature of the night Batman magic, even though the character was not portrayed that way in the scripts. So No, so uh, we'll talk about some of the weird Batman stuff in here when we, once we get into it. But th- there are some Haney-isms. Yes. But the art, uh, it, like, seems to be, like, could have been a, the O'Neill era, right, of Batman mm-hmm. or something. Yes, definitely. And, th- well, this one has the creeper in it. So let's preface with a reason or reasons why we like that guest character. What's so great about the Creeper, Chris? You know, I I don't honestly know what to make of the Creeper. I I mean, I always have, like, liked his visual. It's very striking. But he's a really odd character that people don't, like, creators don't seem to be able to quite get a handle on. I, I know him, you know, being odd is kind of the point. But, I mean, he's really odd, and (laughs) this was definitely DC trying to shake things up in the late 60s and catch up to Marvel, who was starting to mow the grass. Uh, They even brought over Steve Ditko by way of Charlton, you know, and bring some of that counterculture vibe in as well. You know, even though the Creeper had a short run initially and has kind of sporadically popped up over the years with miniseries and things, overall, he's much more successful than Brother Power the Geek, who, of course, was their other counterculture character at the time and uh, i myself first encountered him in world's finest number 253 when i was very young and i was pretty confused by him then and i still am pretty much (laughs) (laughs) well i think maybe one of the problems and you kind of hit on it is the number of series and miniseries he's had and they keep changing the core concept of it Mm -hmm. they keep changing the origin or is he insane or isn't he insane or they keep like changing the character it's like he's being rebooted It's not just a continuation from the last time you saw him. Everybody's got a different take. And I've read some of the original Ditko series, 
And I was like, I kind of like this, you know, actually. And I'm not a big Ditko fan from from any of these eras, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in my case, I'll say that I, what I like about The Creeper is the Jack Ryder persona, mm-hmm. the television host. Sometimes it's a talk show. Sometimes it's, he's like uh, a reactionary talk show host or a hardball journalist who's against superheroes, but secretly is one. So uh, J. Jonah Jameson, but he's Spider-Man as well. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever way you want to play it. Uh, I think that has a lot of potential. I had a lot of fun on uh, my show Who's Editing and trying to figure out how what the creeper would be in that particular episode. I mean, it could be a smokescreen secret identity. It can be a kind of... Hulk paradigm where Creeper is out of his control and then it forms his hate of other heroes as well. So it depends on on if the Creeper is crazy or not. Right. You know, and in the original series, he was not crazy. It's a put-on. Yeah. And then in this issue, it's supposed to be a put-on because this is between issue three and four of Beware the Creeper. Yeah. You know, they're selling that comic that is out on the stands. It's, I think it's a bi-monthly and this is coming out in between two issues. Gotcha. Would you rather him be crazy? Because that's how he's portrayed like in JLI and, you know, uh, or is it better if it's kind of a, like just a persona that is something he's projecting? I think it depends on taste and that's why different writers have done different things. I agree. Yeah. All right. Publication history. This is, uh, well, it's my turn. I, I suggested this issue and so that means I have to do the homework. I apologize for not going in as much depth as some of my co-hosts do. I just have a more... Synthetic mind, I guess. Uh, But he launches out of uh, Showcase number 73 in April 1968. It is by Steve Ditko, Don Siegel. The mad-looking hero goes on to star in Beware the Creeper later that same year for only six issues before moving on to sporadic appearances for the next 20 years, often as a Gothamite and an ally of Batman. Only after Crisis is he portrayed as being insane in his Creeper form, but no series comes out of his re-origin in Secret Origins number 18, nor of his Who's Who page, which seemed to herald a, a Brian Ballin project. Hmm. That never that never happened. And though Giffen Demetrius toyed with making him a member of the Justice League, and he showed up in like their crowd scenes and in, in the DC Heroes source book and in uh, a Who's Who entry, like he's part of the team. He never really was, so yeah. <laughs> that didn't work out either. And then he is seemingly killed in Eclipso number 13. That's in 1993. By 1997, he's gotten over his dismemberment uh, enough to star in 12 issues of The Creeper by Len Kaminsky. In 2003, a new female Creeper is introduced in Beware the Creeper Volume 2. That's a Vertigo imprint, and it's uh, just a five-issue mini by Jason Hall and Cliff Chang. And Jack Ryder is back in 2006 and 2007 for another six-issue engagement, this one written by Steve Niles. He joined the Outsiders in 2008, OD Indignity, uh, (laughs) and uh, Rain in Hell briefly portrayed the Creeper as a demon-possessing writer. And in the New 52... Uh, it was an Oni spirit, a Japanese Oni spirit doing so. Mm. But Rebirth has returned the character to his more human origins. They keep changing him up. Right. Uh, the Creeper has a standout appearance in The New Batman Adventures, voiced by Jeff Bennett, and of course appeared on The Brave and the Bold, the cartoon, voiced by Brian Bloom. He missed his chance at the big time, however, kind of famously, there was at one time a solo animation project in the pipeline for him, but it kind of morphed into the show Freakazoid. Mm. That was originally a Creeper project. Yes, yeah. It's no surprise. I, I really like the DCAU version of the Creeper. 
goalkeeper and wish he'd shown up more. I, they they showed him in a lot of the early concept art for advertising the series. He was standing up there with Batman, Robin, Batgirl, and right. Nightwing when they did the new Batman Adventures, but he only appeared in one episode. But they tied him directly to the Joker's origin, and they had him lust after Harley Quinn. That that was just a master stroke. Uh, he's a background character on JLU, which, of course, Cindy and I uh, cover on JLU cast. And Jeff Bennett, who voiced him there, went on to voice the Joker on Batman the Brave and the Bold as well. And he was great as the Joker. So I got a soft spot for him. I do remember there was a brief creeper backup in The Flash in the early 80s. And I remember Chuck Patton drew some of those strips. And I remember the art was really cool and kind of scary. I seem to remember there was something at a mental hospital and all these people looked really nuts. And... uh <laughs> It was kind of like almost like that film, The Crazies or something. I don't know. It just, I just remember it, you know, Creeper being like really super actually creepy in that story. <laughs> yeah, I, I missed that. I was like, I got to check it out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the animation, if you find a guy that does a good laugh, <laughs> yeah, you're going to need him for the Joker. You're going to need him for the Creeper. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, let's get into this issue before getting going any further. It's called, And Hellgramite is his name. It's written by Bob Haney, with art by Neil Adams and Dick Giordano. Batman, take it away. I started the evening atop a burning building, trying to nab the arsonists responsible. I was momentarily distracted by a low-flying helicopter, loudly announcing, presenting Jack Ryder on Wham! TV. The arsonist lunged and nearly took me with him. Luckily, firefighters caught him below, and I set off to have a word with the irresponsible Mr. Ryder. He tells me he has important news to share on his broadcast later that night. At Commissioner Gordon's office, he and I watch Ryder as he warns the city about the coming of the hideous Helgramite, who he believes will be bringing terror to Gotham. Gordon and I both feel like Ryder is up to his usual sensationalized journalistic tactics, and we should focus our attention on the disappearance of noted mobster Ace Brannigan. I confronted Ryder again after his broadcast, but his story didn't change. Batman doesn't believe it, but Jack Ryder does. The Hellgramite is in Gotham, and a threat to everyone. So if the Bat won't do anything, it's up to the Creeper. With an insane laugh, Jack transforms, and in his madcap identity... <laughs> ...races after Batman. Out of nowhere, the costume outlaw known as the Creeper appears. He seems to be drinking the same spike punch as Ryder, believing the Hellgramite is a true threat. I tell him I'm going to be taking him in... But despite punching through a brick chimney, have to get Alfred to take a look at my knuckles later, Creeper manages to dodge my blow. He flips over me and grabs onto a TV antenna, which then springs back and smacks me in the skull. Batman almost falls, but holds onto the edge of the building, while the Creeper makes an impressive jump to a construction site, leading Batman to the Helgramite's cocoons, which he'd previously discovered. He lays the exposition out. These cocoons are used to replenish the monster's strength, which wanes every 24 hours. He used to be an etymologist, or if you prefer the technical term, a bug scholar, before he went sour and turned himself into a creature. Just then, the Helgramite comes and his existence can no longer be denied. But can our heroes stop him before he renews his strength? My fist takes another beating when I punch the Helgramite in his solar plexus. His exoskeleton doesn't seem to take any damage, but I do when he tosses me through the air. I manage to save myself, but the Helgramite is gone. The Creeper explains he can leap great distances, like his insect namesake. 
Gordon and the police arrive, and while Creeper hides, Gordon tells me to shift all priorities into finding the yellow, green, and red madman. Despite his orders, I know the Helgramite is the bigger threat, even if Gordon doesn't believe he exists. I agree to make a deal with the Creeper. He can help me nab Helgramite, and I can turn him in afterwards. Sounds fair, yes? Another bat signal call, and Gordon is having me switch priorities again, this time looking into Al Dalco, who was hired to rub out Ace Brannigan, but is now seeking police protection. Gordon tells me to forget about the Creeper, but since he's in town, I call him to help me out with this one. Maybe he can get some time off his sentence this way. At Dalco's home, we find the mobster missing, and one of his goons relaxing face down in the pool. Or that's what the Comics Code Authority wants you to believe. Another thug tells me of how a costume creep nabbed his boss. Creeper and I spot Helgramite leaping into a junkyard. The two heroes enter the junkyard and find a glowing cocoon, impervious to damage. It's too late. Helgramite is rejuvenating. While they wait for it to open, Commissioner Gordon leads his men to the junkyard, looking to arrest the Creeper. Helgramite emerges from the cocoon more powerful than ever, but rather than chase after him, I give a precise karate chop to Creeper's neck, knocking him out. Outside, the Helgramite leaps away, knocking garbage onto Gordon and his men. Creeper isn't happy with me KOing him, but I had to stop Gordon's men from finding him, or someone may have been killed. And Gordon would also know I disobeyed his orders, which could get me fired. Wait a minute. He's not the boss of me. After two mobsters are snatched, Turk Trask, kingpin of all Gotham rackets, starts to fear for his safety. But he thinks the Creeper is responsible, so he sends his men to take the colorful hero out. They get the crap kicked out of them as a result, but one of them gets a lucky shot with a thrown power tool and knocks the creeper out. They strap him to a pane of glass and start hoisting him up the Helgramite's uncompleted building. I throw my battering and bat rope around the line holding the pane of glass and pull, snapping the cables and sending the creeper plummeting to the ground below. The panel shatters and the creeper rolls free, unharmed. Helgramite grabs Turk Trask in the confusion. After seeing to the Creeper, I pick up Helgramite's trail, but Trask is gone, undoubtedly stowed somewhere. Creeper turns back into Jack Ryder in time for his broadcast, an open letter to the Helgramite to lure him into attacking the obnoxious journalist. I chased Helgramite to an abandoned subway station and radioed for the Creeper. I'm not sure where he keeps his receiver, and his feather boa. Anyway, we discovered three cocoons inside. Helgramite was planning on changing the three criminals into creatures like him, under his command. Creeper and I gathered the cocoons and took them to a local hospital, where I had a radiologist blast them with just enough x-rays to penetrate the cocoons, but not the goons. They emerged fully human, but scummy, and I had no evidence to hold them on, so I had to let them go. Creeper and I returned to the subway tunnel, where Helgramite attacked. Creeper thought I was leaving him at the mercy of our insectoid foe, but I grabbed a nearby fire extinguisher and began blasting the insidious insect with it. It clogged up his pores, making it difficult for him to breathe. The Creeper tears out an electrical cable from the ceiling and very accurately puts the ends on the Helgramite's tiny antennae, completing the circuit and zapping the monster into unconsciousness. That done, he slips away while Batman muses on now having to bring him in. Gordon comes in to take Helgramite into custody as a consolation prize. And so the Creeper escapes to laugh another day. <laughs> so as you can see, I wasn't sure how to pronounce Helgramite. So part of this, I was going Helgramite, which I'd always said. Oh, that was a problem. <laughs> it's Helgramite. 
in the cartoons and right yeah i believe so yeah and probably in the dictionary probably <laughs> when i was a kid i always said teen titans that you know so instead of titans i used to say titans as well yeah, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> uh, and which batman was this this was Diedrich bader or a, a, a close uh, i thought it was going to be a close approximation of him so i apologize to Diedrich bader from the brave and the bold it just the bob haney stuff seems to be more Diedrich bader or adam west you know it just okay <laughs> it just makes sense yeah i mean it's brave and the bold right right, right. yeah but but i think if if it weren't neil adams like the early issues there you might have gone adam west right but by this point, yeah, I agree with the Adams or Apero. It seems to be more. I, I think I think your instincts are are good. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, so that was issue eighty, and uh, and thank you for Batman's participation, of course. <laughs> and I'm sort of supposed to be. Meanwhile, you know, <laughs> the Batcave. <laughs> Desmond Doomsday, right? Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> That's the narrator of the 60s Batman series, yeah. Well, let's let's put the comic back down on the table and uh, let's discuss that cover. What do you think of this one? I, I love the perspective on this cover. You know, it's this is Neil Adams breaking the form, you know, uh, spinning comics on its ear. Uh, it draws you in and it really sells the height of the peril they're in. Uh, Helgramite is one freaky looking villain. I mean, he's truly terrifying, which most mainstream comic villains, especially at DC, were not back at this time. I mean, they were not frightening at all. Uh, Adam's art alone brings a grit to the work that makes it scary and more tactile. Uh, and I know it's in the story, but Creeper being what looks like a plate glass window is odd, even for him. Plus, he looks crucified, and he's kind of small on the cover, but he was a new commodity. I mean, yeah, they're trying to promote his book, but, you know, Batman's clearly the star. I mean, Yes, Batmania has waned, but still Batman's their second biggest draw for DC Comics. So. Collectible Creeper is what I call him <laughs> in the original packaging. Yeah. But I think what saves him is that his colors pop so hard, you know, red and yellow. Uh, you can't miss him. Right. Red, yellow, green. You can't miss him. Even if he's lower or smaller in the image, you know, he's still quite visible. But yeah, the Helgramite is like, like, you'd imagine this villain in the 70s. Like, this is a, like a Swamp Thing villain. Yeah. It's cutting edge for 1968. I always felt like when I look at Neil Adams stuff, I'm like, well, that's 70s, right? No. A lot of those seminal issues, you know, where he started out are in late 60s. And it's like, wow. I mean, that, that would have been so different compared to everything else on the stands. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's there's there's Superman comics from this era that that have Neil Adams covers and inside it's Al Plastino. You right. know, it's, it, yeah. it's nothing against Al Plastino, but it's like, it's... Artwork from night and day. Night and day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so I, I really like the Helgramite here, the, the way he looks. Like everything you've said is is true. You know, this is a this is a, a well composed cover, and so they keep like the logos small enough so that it really looks like a big action pose. They keep the logos out of the way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the story overall, and then we'll just like flip through the pages and and get through our, like our smaller notes. There's a lot of stuff in here. What what I was saying earlier about the Bob Haney clash with Neil Adams. Like Batman says or thinks, close but no cigar. You know, <laughs> he's got expressions like that yeah. that you can't imagine Batman saying. He watches TV with Commissioner Gordon. He apparently needs a hand getting out of an eight-foot deep <laughs> hole. Yeah. But Neil Adams draws him so serious and intense, you kind of don't notice right. the, 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 the sillier elements. It's a weird contradiction there. It's like, you know, that that it's like this in-between phase of the Batman that will come 
like as soon as 1970 rolls over. Uh, but he's not quite there. He's visually almost here. You know, I mean, Adams isn't, he's not, his Batman isn't quite the Batman of the seventies just yet, but it's very close. But yeah, the, I mean, the fact that, you know, Batman, like you said, not only is he hanging out in Gordon's office, Gordon is literally bossing him around in this story. Like I know he's a duly deputized agent of the law in this period, like on the sixties TV series, but uh, he's like punched a clock and, <laughs> and and Gordon's his boss, which is really strange. You know, he's like he's shifting Batman's priorities for him, which is just like he's like this micromanager that's like, I don't want you to work on that project anymore. I want you to work on this one now. You know, that's <laughs> I almost got lost in all the names, all these crooks. Eventually, you sort of figure out, OK, Helgramite is is capturing them. And so yeah. whatever Batman and Gordon are working on, it actually is connected to the larger villain. Yeah. And at the end, okay, you get it. Well, you get it. I mean, it's still a weird plan, but you do get it that why you were following this stuff. It's like, okay, well, now we're going after Dalco and then Bronk. And then, I mean, they've all got these fanciful names, Ace, yeah. whatever, Brannigan, you know, they all got these fanciful names. But I was like, who are these guys and why should I care? Yeah. And even at the end, it's like, okay, we stopped a plot to, I guess, to turn criminals into bug monsters. But at the same time, since it never happens, it's like, okay, spend the, the night saving three or four of Gotham's kingpins, yeah. they call them. You know? it's like, yeah, mm. and he can't arrest them because he doesn't, you know, he, they, they're building their cases against him, but he has no evidence. You know, there's there's no Harvey Dent here to, you know, put them all behind bars in, in one night or whatever, you know? So. <laughs> no, so, so he saves their lives to... Prosecute them another day, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. But it's like the stakes are whatever. That's the crux of the story. Let's start with page one, because that, that introduces us to Jack Ryder, but not the creeper quite yet. And I wanted to mention something. Like I said earlier, I read this originally. Now, now I'm looking at the, the scan, you know. Yeah. But I read this with uh, Showcase Presents, the black and white. And there's a, a big difference between the two. It's not just the color. In Showcase Presents, they removed presenting Jack Ryder on Wham! TV, which seems to come out of a loudspeaker on a helicopter, which disrupts Batman's arrest here. Yeah. And they replaced it with, uh, and I'll put both versions on the gallery post at firedwaterpodcast.com. But instead, there's like a Letra set Jack Ryder. Yeah. With lines, like it's just like dropping a banner or something. Right. His, his logo fell out of the helicopter or something. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look like this at all. So they like they removed it, not just the lettering, but even the effect around the lettering. Maybe they didn't like it. It's kind of wonky in a, a bit, but yeah, it's weird that they did that. Yeah, that's strange. It's, it's really weird. Of course, the Neil Adams stories, unfortunately, you know, when they released a lot of those in those Batman Illustrated by Neil Adams books... They let Neil Adams go back and randomly redraw images in those stories. And I don't think there's any of that here in this version on the DC Universe Infinite app. But I think they've kind of gotten away from reprinting those versions. But yeah, if you like comics uh, reprints from about like 10, 15 years ago, there's a lot of lot of director's cut stuff going on in those and it's and no offense to neil adams but it just didn't look the same it was it stuck out like a sore thumb i mean it was it was a lot like a you know a special edition movie kind of thing where they drop something in that oh yeah that doesn't look like that was from 1977 you know uh, that you know that kind of thing yeah. so and is it possible that yeah, i mean he's the kind of guy who goes in and uses like a photocopier to create effects and such would that have been one of his changes in a 
one particular version and that's the one that he put in Shogis Presents? It could be, yeah. I mean, there's, I know that when they reprinted these, the Brave and the Bold stories in that Best of the Brave and the Bold in the late 80s, they changed Aquaman's logo to the current blue suit Aquaman logo from the Craig Hamilton miniseries and it made it into reprints after that. So, mm. yeah, it's like whatever DC's got on file, they just... That's the one. That's the one they use, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Weird thing. Yeah, now I understand more why it might happen. Because, like, in my version, my original version, I didn't know that, you know, Jack Ryder was on Wham! TV until late in the story when it's mentioned again, because it wasn't on this, this part. And I was like, Did George Michael put a cease and desist or something. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it, but it's there later, you know, anyways. It looks like he's either dropping his logo out or he's just flying by going, Jack Ryder! You know, or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's funny. Uh, yeah, so I'll include it <laughs> so people can sort of see. And maybe someone out there has, like, this was reprinted somewhere else and it has that particular logo on it. Yeah. And we can trace it back with our uh, our super sleuths who listen to the show. Yes. What do you think of this introduction for... Jack Ryder for the Creeper kind of messes up Batman's game and that sort of sets us up for a sort of enmity between the two characters. Yeah, I mean, Batman is, you know, trying to nab this arsonist and I like the splash because it pulls you in. He's pointing at the guy and his cape is flowing, you know, into the, the title of the story. So it all flows together, which is great. A great layout by Neil Adams. But yeah, he flies by and. And, you know, Batman, you know, almost falls when the the guy jumps. I thought it was interesting that the firefighters catch this guy because I thought, oh, are they going to have this guy die? You know, because later on there's a goon floating in the pool, like I joked about. So upside down in the pool. So I thought maybe this guy was going to die. But no, I do like the little bit where Batman's actually shown using the firefighters uh, ladder on their truck to get down. That's a nice little subtle touch there. But I do have a question, though. Is Jack Ryder flying his own helicopter? Is he the pilot or is the pilot on the other side when we see him get out? That's I, you know, Does he have his own pi- the own helicopter? <laughs> You're right that he's sort of coming out on the driver's side. <laughs> yeah. He's like Thanos. He's got his own helicopter, right? You know, it's like... <laughs> I mean, he's alone on that rooftop later. So, yeah, he's flying his own. He's doing his own marketing. <laughs> he's flying his own helicopter. He's the only one to blame. And, I mean, I do like that the bit you're talking about as well, where Batman uses the, the fireman's ladder and like, whatever this crime is there's arson going on right so right. there's like you see there's smoke you see the trucks in the background it's all there it's just you might not notice it if you're just like reading word balloons it's set up for this to happen for the guy to be saved it's not just like we were passing by and a guy fell out the window you know yeah yeah it makes sense that they caught him yeah they were waiting for that you know like the ladder is already up towards the rooftop it's still weird yeah but no weirder than like the next page where batman's watching tv <laughs> That really is a 1960s, you know, Batman cover referencing the TV show. Right, right, right. That's kind of reminds me of it. It also makes me think of the Silent Night of the Batman where he stays in the police uh, headquarters and sings Christmas carols with the, the all mm. Gordon and his men, you know. So. <laughs> and this is the introduction of the Helgramite as well because Jack Ryder, he's in town to cover this guy. So he presents him sort of like as if he's 
giving a course in biology or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, presents him to the TV public. But everybody knows him as a sensationalist and nobody really believes like he's a Maury Povich or a, well, in some versions, that's kind of what he is, or he's uh, one of these uh, radical pundits or so in the sixties, he was more of a, it's actually ahead of its time. Yeah. I don't know what TV was like in the sixties, obviously. I don't like, but whenever you see footage, it's never the sensationalism that we get now. Oh no, no. It seemed like back then everybody like, you know, Walter Cronkite and, you know, everybody right. and, and uh, Brinkley and all those guys, they, they trusted them, right? You know, like they were unbiased. They didn't let their political leanings affect their, their coverage. Wow, imagine that, right? Uh, and yeah. he was definitely like, I don't know who, if somebody knows our listeners who Jack Ryder was kind of based on at that time, especially on TV, like, you know, in newspapers and things, you know, and different, you know, there were obviously different papers that were a little more sensational than others and there were rag sheets and things. But on, on television, it just, you know, it seemed it like it must have existed. Yeah, it must it's have. It's just it hasn't survived to this day and like we believe the legend of what it used to be, but right. there must have been at least light entertainment shows and that kind of like when you watch like entertainment journalism, it's terrible. Right. It seems so naive and like awkward. Right. And today it's it's not it's cynical. Right. <laughs> and it's cringy instead of awkward, but yeah. so I feel like like 1968 I mean, this must have been a thing for Bob Haney to do it, for Ditko to do it. Obviously, Haney's – well, I, I'm never sure if Haney really read the comics that he's based. <laughs> <laughs> there are two issues of Beware – two or three issues of Beware the Creeper out Yeah, when this is published. But when he wrote the story – there would have been like one issue. I don't know. Maybe somebody, you know, it's like, yeah, somebody put a folder together and handed it to him. This is the creeper. This is what we're going to put and in we here. We want to sell him. Yeah. We want to upsell him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially a team up like this when there's a new character on the block and he's going to team up with Batman. Today, Batman would show up in his comic. Definitely. The boost But sales. back then, you know, yeah. So we get the Hellgram out here and it's like probably because of the visual. I was, I'm going to say the visual. I don't know what Bob Haney had in mind. Would have been a funny looking bug guy. Who knows? Yeah. But especially with the visual that Neil Adams gives us, which is a big, gross bug monster, something of Cronenberg's to fly to this design. Yeah. Years before, obviously. Yeah, definitely. He's got that. I mean, it's Neil Adams was, I mean, he was creating horrors and comics that, you know, like they had Sauron and the X Men, and then you had. Man, bad. I mean, you had these characters. I mean, nothing had ever really, no monsters had looked like that, especially since the comics code came in. You know, I mean, it. it I'm kind of surprised they got away with this in 68 before the comics code loosened up some, uh, mm -hmm. you know, towards 70 when monsters were able to actually be used again. <laughs> so, <laughs> Because this has turned out to be one of the relatively few Haney villains to stick around. Yeah. Beyond his... His own work. Yeah, I mean, the Helgramite. I don't think he got a lot of exposure. It, I want to say, of course, he doesn't like get a who's who entry in the original series. No. I, I'm thinking that the Superman office in the, um, you know, the, the Carlin era in the late 80s, early 90s, I think in the early 90s, they started using the Helgramite in the Superman books. And I think that's kind of how he kind of finally took hold, if I remember. I think so, right. too. Yeah. So there's a, like a big gap between this moment and his later use. Yeah. Like, he was strong enough to be a Superman villain. Yeah. And he showed up in Metropolis a number of times. And I think that's how how and why we know him. So, it's interesting, and that's why I kind of credit Neil Adams for this, is that, like, the visual is so strong and so modern that something created in 1968 
then nobody thinks of it. You know, it's like a lot of these villains in uh, Brave and the Bold or any team up book are sort of disposable in a way. Yeah, yeah, they usually they don't really belong to any one character, so then again, they kind of disappear. But then decades later, somebody goes, you know, like that character was really cool, and that character still works today in the '90s. Maybe especially in the nineties. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean it comes back, yeah. I mean we did get um you know, there there was a reuse of the Bork character in that power company, the Bork character that Flash and Batman fight in the Neil Adams Bob Haney story. I think it might be the next issue. It's around this same period, of course. Uh, and, and they kind of redid him. Of course they redesigned him to have like, you know, he became more monstrous looking and everything. But Helger Mites image has remained pretty much unchanged because he's just creepy. <laughs> he's just creepy looking. <laughs> like he is a, a either a 70s uh, monster or a 90s gross villain. Yeah. But in the late 60s, it seems like maybe somebody said, okay, well, we had we did this story and let's never talk of this character again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, because he's a kind of freaky. I don't know if it scared kids at the time or what. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I, I do have a question though. Why is Ryder the only one who knows about the Helgramite. I, I know this is pre-internet and pre-24-hour news, but a giant insect creature on the loose would have surely gotten some notice, even if it was chalked up to urban legend. And, you know, it, it, you, you would almost expect Batman and Gordon to like, well, we heard of that, but we thought, you know, he's just spreading these rumors about this creature or something. It's like nobody knows about It's almost like Jack Ryder really did, like, He's the PR person for the Helgramite, and he's like advertising him or something. <laughs> it's, it's it's a comic book trope, is what is powering this. You know how other than like team books and team up books, heroes are in their particular contextualizing city, and they don't really go out of there, and nobody goes, especially nobody goes in. Yeah. So, you know, Superman patrols Metropolis. Most of his action takes place in Metropolis. He can leave Metropolis and do things worldwide and uh, in space. But he's not going to go to Central City. He's not going to go to Coast City. He's not going to go to Gotham City. Yeah. Alien invasion comes in to attack Metropolis. The other heroes don't come rushing in. They leave him to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless this is Justice League of America, in which case they all participate, but only the members of the team. So that this is how, in this case, Helgramite is a problem somewhere else. Right. <laughs> and he's not in Beware the Creeper or anything. You know, it's like this is his first appearance. Right. And it makes me think, was he based on the fact that Ditko created the Creeper? So a Creeper villain is a big bug guy. Not unlike Spider-Man or the Blue Beetle. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like the, the, the germ of the idea. Right. Yeah, it could be. Spider-Man, not too long after this, you know, he grows uh, his extra arms. He's got right. like six arms and, and, and it, you know, one point becomes the man spider creature and I think Marvel fanfare and stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like this is what could have happened to Peter Parker, you know, if... <laughs> If he'd been bit bit by the larva of a Dobson fly or whatever it is. Because the Creeper is in line with those other creations in terms of like the acrobatic, smart-talking character. Mm -hmm. And the way he transforms looks a lot like the way the question transforms. Yes. 
It does. Ditko creations from at Charlton or in, at Marvel that predate this, right? Mm-hmm. So he's copying himself a little bit. This is just the thing that Ditko is known for. I mean, even later, Speedball is kind of like this, right? Shade as well, the Changing right? Man, you know, kind of has some of these kind of visual, like the same thing where the creeper changes, kind of looks similar to that. The stuff around him and yeah. yeah. So that's his thing. I think Haney and in some way as well, Neil Adams are, I don't want to say mocking Ditko, but, you know, they're they're riffing on Ditko and his past creations. Yeah, because he seemed to be a big bug guy, like you said, <laughs> with Spider-Man <laughs> and Blue Beetle. Yeah. Fly Man? No. Yeah. <laughs> then I thought Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm doing Stan Lee, obviously, but he, right. in, in my story, he's, he's stealing from Ditko. Right. <laughs> I know he's not. Well, I mean, this is also a Marvel-style story because the heroes fight Yeah. before they team up, which is rare in these things at uh, DC. Yeah, and I mean, like a lot of the early Marvel at the end, Batman still wanted to take him in. I mean, whenever Spider-Man would, you know, intersect with the Avengers, they're like, well, he's wanted by the law, you know, and, and, and the Wasp would be like, I hate spiders because, you know, I'm a Wasp and I hate spiders you know which is like that's a real good reason there janet for for you to dislike him but you know which uh, you know i mean yeah it's uh, poor spidey never got a break back then you know so it's gotta that's the marvel feel coming into dc you know there were guys like haney and arnold drake who were basically like they were creating marvel type characters with the doom patrol and metamorpho before the rest of dc woke up to say hey you know oh god we're why are all these college kids buying these other comic books, you know, what what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the art here is like good reason to switch over to DC. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about that art. Let's talk about some of that, those Maverick splash pages or layouts. Yes. Because, I mean, when he fails, when I think he does too much, Neil Adams looks like it's broken glass. Yeah. And each panel is sort of like a shard of glass, and it's not necessarily, like, sometimes it's too busy, but he's got some really whoppers in here. I think sometimes he pushes the envelope. There's a page later in this story where I think there's a story beat that gets lost because he's trying to be too experimental, you know. Visually, it gets lost, and we'll get Mm. there as we go. But we talked about Batman punching through the brick wall. Why don't you talk about that one? That's That's a great example there. Yeah. So it's a brick chimney. So he attacks Creeper. That's exactly where we, we were at, right? It's like, okay, there's going to be a fight between the heroes. The Creeper moves just out of the way at the last minute, and Batman's fist goes through the chimney. But the camera's point of view is inside the chimney, and we see the fist come in, and it jostles these bricks. Well, these bricks are actually the, all the other panels that surround this, which would be panel four. So each brick has a panel stamped on it. And you don't quite know that that's what you're looking at until you reach the middle of the page. Right. So that's like, that's one of the Maverick ones. Another Maverick one is the um, the panels are inside Batman's cape. Yes. So we understand why it's ribbed. Yes. It's ribbed so that there can be panels. In there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? So those are like like the two big ones. You know, around this time, you know, Adams was doing this. Jim Steranko was doing it. They were like... You know, Adams was doing it mostly at DC and Stranko was doing it all at Marvel. It's definitely shaken up that, oddly enough, that nine panel grid, which Steve Ditko was a huge proponent of. You know, he, I mean, he would deviate from that, you know, it'd make for a powerful moment. Like, you know, of course, when 
Spider-Man lifts the giant weight. You know, everybody always talks about that great moment. But, you know, usually he, he was big on that, that whole nine panel grid thing, you know. So it's odd that, you know, we got a Ditko character and, and, and Adams as being this experimental. But the one page I was talking about, I'll just go ahead and mention it. It's, it's at the end when they discover the three criminals in the cocoons. They mention three cocoons and inside the three missing gangsters, but well, now you do see it. Okay, you see it. Uh, you know what? In the corner. It's in the corner. I missed that until just now. And I, you know, I consider myself a pretty. <laughs> well, you know what I missed in the, this page until this moment? What's that? Is that the middle panel is an arrow pointing to where next to read. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. But it, it's like, I think this may work better black and white because of the colors and a lot of text. And a lot of different action in different places. Yes. This is one of those broken glass ones, you know, in yeah, a way. Yeah. It, I, I'm sorry. It looks dynamic. It's beautifully drawn. But yeah, it it's obviously confusing and hard to read if I, you know, and I went over this story multiple times writing, you know, my part of the synopsis and taking notes. And, and I didn't get that. And I obviously have been reading comic books for, you know, a long time. So <laughs> for about 45 years. So, uh, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, I, I love you. Neil and and you you were fantastic at this, but occasionally uh, you might push the envelope a little too much. You know, <laughs> clear story. Well, better to experiment and fail than do something boring. Right. I think it was probably his attitude. Oh yeah, it definitely was. I mean, he was there to shake everything up from the, the layouts to colors to the stories themselves. What they wanted to, you know, he was he was an advocate for. You know, a lot of getting DC to actually have a black superhero, for one, you know, and John Stewart. Yeah, a lot of uh, progressive ideas, yeah. both creatively and then in terms of storylines. Yes, definitely. Where do we go from here? Um, I guess we're still punching that brick wall. Right, right, right. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Batman's um, Batman's punching a brick wall, but then the creeper leads him to the Helgramite's cocoon. Yes. Uh, this is like a weird weakness. That he's got, like, he's got to regenerate every 24 hours. He needs his cocoon because that's reusable, as every butterfly knows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, of course. So this is, yeah, this is the, the, the moment where I was, I was joking that, you know, Batman was, had uh, trouble getting out of uh, whatever this tubing is. Yeah. Like an eight-foot pit. Well, I, maybe he doesn't need help, but he takes the help. Yeah, he takes Creeper's hand, yeah. I did notice in some of these panels, the Creeper has fingernails on his gloves, which I think's yeah. kind of weird. It's like, I wonder if somebody, if Adams or Giordano thought that the tassels were the, the ends of his sleeve, and he had on like a, a shirt, and his hands were supposed to be bare instead of red gloves over yellow tights, or I, I don't know, is it tight? Yeah, I guess it's, it's not intuitive, because his face is yellow. Yeah. Therefore, if... Parts of his costume are just his skin. That would be the yellow parts. Right. And those are red gloves. Yes. Like red boots. Yes. And there are versions of the Creeper where he actually transforms. And then other versions where the costume appears. Yes. Costume from that night just reappears on him. And it is a costume. Right. Including the face. But if you take it to be like he's fused to the costume, making the mask realistically a face making the wig realistically his hair, making the gloves realistically have fingernails. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So as far as I'm going to go in, ter in terms of no prize on this one. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, think, I always, I just noticed that like when he's getting, when he jumps after uh, the Helgramite and falls into one of those bins like Batman did, 
it, you know, it's Krang, and, and his, his little fingers are sticking out, all splayed, and he's got fingernails, yeah, so. <laughs> Helgermite's feet and hands right there, that could be Sauron coming in. You know, he's leaping away, but it looks like Sauron, because it's green, and it's, uh, it, could, it could be Sauron. From, and the back claw? Yeah, yeah, the back claw, yeah. It could be, yeah, he's getting ready to pick up Jean Grey or something, I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> I want to pick up later, page 12. That's when they go to Dalco's mansion. Yeah, I like that first panel because it shows the the mansion in the background. In the foreground, the Creeper and Batman are perched on like an iron gate. You know, or obviously a gate at home. He's a mobster. He's going to protect himself. And you just see their feet and hands like where they're crouched on the gate. And you see a little bit of Batman's cape. Uh, but I think that's just a really cool way to frame that. And it's very moody. And uh, the colors are, you know, in this version, everything's kind of in a reddish color you know obviously the creeper wears red but it's like a maroonish almost you know deep magenta kind of color it's just another one of those things you take for granted but nobody else was doing this type of stuff till neil adams (laughs) came came around you know so it's cinematic it's like something you'd catch on a camera yes you you'd have to imagine like almost have a, a separate sheet of paper to to draw the figures so that the feet and hands are correctly placed yes because you know it's out of context for the artist uh and the panel uh, under that that's really violent image yes it <laughs> you is you know bronc Boyle pulling a sunset boulevard in the pool uh, this this does not feel comics code authority 1968 no somebody was definitely out to lunch when this one came by i mean i i can't imagine them letting this get by i joked about it you know in the synopsis but mm-hmm. yeah i was kind of shocked by it i'm like wow that guy's dead i mean you know he's he's, a, he's floating upside down in the pool with his head down in the water yeah it's it, that is not something you see in a book before at least the the later 70s probably if not the early 1980s so and i do love that the maybe there is a like a time lapse that we don't really notice but that mansion, like these, they jump over the wall of the mansion and look in that junkyard. So we have a mansion and a junkyard next door to each other. And this to me is a, like a Bob Haney Gotham geography lesson. You know, if you need it in the story, it's there. Well, see, that just shows why Gotham went to hell and became the urban hellscape it is nowadays because there was no zoning. You know, they, <laughs> right. you could put a garbage, like a junkyard right next to a mansion and the whole city just went to hell. And then it, it turned into Anton first Gotham city from the 89 Batman film, you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's silly. And if you think about it too much, but you need that set piece, you need that there. It's there. Yeah, it's there. That's right. It's why Gotham has like a hundred amusement parks. All disused. <laughs> oh, right, right. And, and Bruce Wayne hasn't bought up and taken down every amusement park. Everything has got to do with a two, a cat, a bird, you know, you name it. He, why has why he just leveled them and like, you know. <laughs> that's a mission for a millionaire. Yeah, that's right. A billionaire, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this is a weird one to me. Like Batman karate chops the creeper, takes him out of danger sort of thing because the cops are also coming and Gordon is out of control in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, why couldn't he just say, look, Jim, the Helgramite is a real threat. The Creeper's working with me for now. I'll br- Even if he took him aside, I'll bring him in later, but I need his help. He's got intel on the Helgramite, you know, and, and even if Batman was going to be a little, you know, I mean, I, well, he wasn't really being two-faced. He told the Creeper, I'm going to take you in after we team up. Uh, but, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, he, he's being very upfront about it. But it's like, just, Batman's just like really afraid to tell Gordon. You know, I, I, I mean, I know Gary Oldman can be intense, but I mean, calm down, you know, or <laughs> 
<laughs> whatever, you know, Jeffrey Wright or whatever Gordon you want to be. I, I don't think there's any Jim Gordon that Batman would be like actually like afraid to tell him that, okay, I'm, I'm working this case this way. Just give me a minute and I'll, I'll make it right. But it's just really bizarre I, that Haney has this. And Haney actually used Commissioner Gordon, I think, more than any other Bat writer at the time. I mean, Gordon was like almost in every Brave and the Bold or in a lot of them. And the other creators, I mean, Gordon would be there, but it's like he didn't seem like he was nearly as important as as he is to Haney. And it's and it maybe he just wanted Batman to have somebody to you know talk to, but it's just insane how much Batman won't tell Gordon to get in line. And you know he's it's it's funny actually. <laughs> I mean, it's a strange decision as well. It's like, well, the police would have burst in looking for you, and then someone would have been killed in the excitement. Yeah, yeah. But he leaves the cops to Helgramite. Yes. <laughs> so maybe someone would have been killed anyway. Right. I mean, he could have let those cops just be, you know, the, the creeper's supposed to have super strength and uh, a certain amount of super strength and obviously a super agility and all this stuff. But these regular policemen are, you know, at the mercy of this giant, like seven, eight foot tall insectoid monster with these talons and all these bony protrusions sticking out of his arms. And yeah, Batman just lets them like just, and not garbage all over him too, which, you know, they could be crushed by a car or, you know, I mean, it's, it's got, it's. This also feels like uh, what I call the, the, the uh, outsiders, Batman father knows best Batman who doesn't really let his allies do much of anything. He's definitely not going to tell him he's Bruce Wayne. That's for sure. The next story beat is the Creeper versus I don't even know which goon this is. Turk Turk Trask. Yeah. Yeah. Turk Trask sends his men against the Creeper, so you get a bit of fighting there, and they're the ones that put him up in the window pane, a sort of death trap for fun. Very Batman 66, you know. Yeah. I I like the panel on page. 16, the extreme close-up of of the Creeper being belted by a sander. Neil Adams could draw pain and anguish, I think, better than any artist who's ever lived. I mean, he his character, I mean, I'm thinking about the cover where Superman's like, you know, like turning green from kryptonite poisoning, and he's like swearing to, to take the person down who did it with him, and, you know, and then the Batman's anguished over Robin's body on the Treasury, you know, comic, and he's just, he was like the absolute king of torturous anguish on the face of a comic book character, and this looks like it really hurts. <laughs> Back of the head, I mean. Of course it does. Then we get like a twin resolution because the creeper lures Helgramite uh, into the open. They find the cocoons. So the two resolutions are, let's x-ray these uh, guys, you know, first of all, so that they don't become Helgramites. And then later we have to beat Helgramite, you know, in a physical fight. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I just wondered why Batman didn't think about, you know, taking Helgramite's cocoon and blasting it with x-rays. Would that have turned it back to... Human, I mean, obviously this thing is, this transformation is taking place over time in this cocoon, so the fact that these guys all come back human and not even half insectoid says, well, maybe you can do the same thing to Helgermite. I don't, I don't know, maybe he's too far gone, but, uh... Yeah, it's it's really strange. <laughs> well, we don't get a lot about Helgramite. It's like this is one of those rare villains in this era who shows up without an origin story. You know, Creeper says he was an entomologist who turned sour. 
Yes. All right. I mean, we're, I mean, it seems like there's a missing step. Yes. Between that and what he became. Yeah. So we don't know how he became that, if it is reversible or what. Right. He doesn't have the motivation of Kirk Connors, you know, I'm going to regrow my limb. I want to, you know, develop some way to for people, amputees, to regrow their limbs. So I turn myself into the lizard or, you know, Kirk Langstrom. I want to give Batman sonar powers, so I'm going to experiment on myself with bat glands, you know. I, apparently, the Algramite just likes bugs and wants to be one. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do think it's funny, you know, Batman actually, he may not have been able to arrest those three criminals, but he did ensure that they will not create future criminals because they're probably sterile now from getting blasted with that much x-rays. So <laughs> He's thinking ahead. That's right. It's the long game, old chum. You know, it's just... <laughs> And then the, the final fight, we're still, a, you know, in, I mean, there's train tracks, but it's supposed, I mean, it's kind of supposed to be the... They're in the subway. Oh, it's the subway. Okay, yeah. yeah okay, they now went I get back it. to the abandoned subway. Yeah, right. I may have thought this was still like the building construction oh, okay. site, but no. You see him in that page that is very confusing. He runs into subway closed. Yes, because then you know there's like an exposed cable that the creeper could rip out. So I thought, well, oh, okay, we're on a construction site, right? Right. Okay. No, because there's like train tracks or subway tracks, and there's even man. Now, now that I know this. <laughs> The, the panel where he slips away. There's like these two lights in the background. It's like, Batman, look behind you. <laughs> the train's coming. Yeah, it's supposed to be abandoned, so there shouldn't be a train coming through there, right? Oh, no, it's not a train. It's I, because the next panel... Oh, it's Gordon's flashlight. Gordon and his and the cop have each have a light. Oh, okay. No, it's all set up, you know? Neil Adams knows what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have a question, though. Why does Batman think that foam, the, the fire extinguisher foam, will stop the Helgramite even temporarily because it'll clog up his pores, but he's got a nose. I mean, Neil Adams draws him with a fairly humanoid nose and, and mouth, you know, even though his eyes are very insectoid and he's got antennae, but he's, he's, he's got a nose. So it's like, doesn't seem like he's probably breathing through the pores of his exoskeleton or whatever you want to call it. I, I just thought that was kind of weird. It was like a, why does that work? You know, it's just... Does it really say that that's, I mean, clogged his breathing holes? Yeah. Which can still be nostrils. I guess so. I guess. But that's not be. what, that's not really what the artist's showing either, right? It's like shooting him in the back. Yeah, it's shooting him in the back like he breathes from some pores or holes in his back, like in his shell or something, which is... And there's no narration to cover this, so I'll take it for granted that uh, maybe it's just like confused the Helgramite. Right, yeah. Ah! Foam in the face! <laughs> and he lets the creeper go. You know, okay. And then the creeper uses that moment to zap him. You know what else could have worked a few years from now? Hostess Twinkies could have distracted him. <laughs> yeah, there's a Twinkies feeling to some of these stories <laughs> yeah. in this era there is. for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, any final thoughts on the story before we get into our uh, debates? It's fun. This is a pretty zany haney for sure. I mean, like you said, it's kind of, he dovetails the A and B plot of the, you know, criminals and the possible gang war. You know, the one guy's disappeared and been rubbed out and, you know, and all this. And it does all converge. <laughs> the portrayal of, of Gordon and Batman's relationship in this one is the one that just really jumps out at me. Rereading it again, like, to write the synopsis, I'm like, 
this is just bizarre. I don't think I've ever seen their relationship quite portrayed at this extreme level. I mean, I know Haney does this in other stories as well, but it's kind of like, you know, when Batman like loses it and uh, declares he's going to kill the Joker and that, you know, he's going to end him once and for all in the, the team-up issue with the Joker. It's kind of like Gordon's just having a really off day in this, <laughs> in this issue. Part of it may be the art because the characters are so intense and almost angry yeah. that it feels like this, this relationship is contentious. Yeah. But if they were a little lighter, if they were like drawn by whoever was doing it before. Right, right. Ross Andrew or somebody, yeah. Yeah, somebody. Nick Cardi, I think, did a few. So, yeah. you know, if it was something like that, maybe there would be more, like more smiles and they would seem more calm about it. You know, but at the same time, you do have this this whole thing going on all throughout that Batman intends to arrest the Creeper as soon as he can. I think he is written to be angry and intense. I, it is a quirk of the writing. All right, who fared better? Let's talk about our various topics. First, how well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres? Is this a Batman story, Chris, or is it more of a creeper story? The creeper brings the villain to Batman's attention, but there's a lot of Gotham gangland stuff. So which is it? I, I kind of feel like this is the more of a creeper story because the creeper actually looks better than Batman in this one. Batman seems to be on the back foot a lot. Most of this issue, the fact that Batman never comes around to saying, well, the Creeper's a solid guy, I don't care what anybody says, and, and you know, he's still wanting to bring him in, it's like Batman's a narc, you know, and <laughs> Bat-narc. Well, yeah, Batman would be a narc, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Gordon's bossing him around, so Batman totally seems like the man against this counterculture character that is the Creeper, or as counterculture as DC would get at the time, so. Because I wonder sometimes if, if the villain comes in with the hero, that makes the team up more of their story. Whereas if it were, you know, more of a, a Batman villain that's involved, then it feels more like a Batman story. Yeah. You know, as a result, I, I wonder. That's true. A question we only ask in the Brave and the Bold segment is, do they know Batman's secret identity? No, the Creeper doesn't. And surprisingly, Batman doesn't know his, despite the fact that both Ryder and Creeper showed up at the same time in Gotham, both visiting from the same city, both banging on about the Helgramite, world's greatest detective. Ha! <laughs> yeah, fail. I, I think maybe the Creeper is beneath his notice. He's not in the files. Mm. Uh, he's learned his lesson by the time of uh, Grant Morrison's JLA. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he'll have a file on everybody. That's right. I got a file. <laughs> cool moves. What is Batman's coolest move, in your opinion? I'm punching through a brick chimney and making comic panels. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. A bit meta. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to go with a smaller moment when he gets thrown off a building and catches a crane cable. You know, he brings himself back. Uh, that's in the very first fight with the Helgramite. I thought it looked cool. Yeah, that is a cool bit. Yeah. What about the Creeper? Creeper kicks Batman into the drum containing Helgramite's cocoon to prove his point. I thought that was <laughs> that was a nice... He's, you think Creeper's just like kind of knocking Batman around, but he's doing it on... Per, he's, he's got a purpose. He's not just roughing Batman up just because he can. He's trying to say, hey, look, dude, there's this giant cocoon for this insect monster I keep telling you about. So I, I think that's that's a pretty... I mean, not only is he kind of showing Batman, hey, I'm no lightweight, but he's, uh, he's also proving his point. So good on Creeper. I'm also going with a small moment, in this case, a piece of the fight between Batman and Creeper on page five, it's the Bricks page, when he whaps Batman with the TV antenna. <laughs> Great use of the environment. Very humiliating for Batman. Yes. So, and that, I mean, I, that feels 
something like the Creeper would do, right? Let's humiliate the other heroes. Maybe this was a commentary on the DC uh, office, like how they felt about the Batman TV series and what it had done to the character that he gets smacked by. Wow. Ant- <laughs> wow. You, you went deep. You went deep for that one. Yeah. Dumb or weird moves. Ah, what about the Batmans? Batman saving, in quotes, the Creeper from that weird thermal panel prison by dropping it at least three stories so it will shatter. How about using the bat rope to pull it to safety, then free him or something with the, you know, bat torch or anything? But yeah, just letting it drop. I mean, he's he's assuming a lot that the creeper won't be crushed and, you know, cut to ribbons when he falls. I, I mean, he's very careless with the creeper throughout. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's like he knows he's Jack Ryder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's all over the place in this. As you've mentioned, you know, all the weird or lame stuff that Batman gets up to. Because I, I feel like he also got lucky on page one with the, the guy falling into the fireman's net. Somebody might have died on your shift, Batman. Yeah. But I'm going to I'm gonna say it's when he karate chops his ally to avoid someone getting killed in the firefight. The way that this plays out is like, what is this move? Yeah. So I, I think that's the one that doesn't work for me. What about the Creepers? Creeper falls into the drums, uh, leaping for the Helgramite. I mean, that's not a real bad one, but it's kind of humiliating. You know, it's and, and, and plus he shows his fingernails through his gloves. And he's supposed to be super agile. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that goes against that. I mean, he can dance around Batman, you know? Um, so uh, to me, it's, it's also a moment like that is when he gets beamed by a sander. Yeah. <laughs> or what I think is a sander. I, I don't know power tools very well, but, you know. Yeah, it, I couldn't tell what it was. When you said sander, I'm like, oh, yeah, that does look like kind of like a sander. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange-looking apparatus. I don't know. I guess that's what it is. I'm going to say that's what it is. But if you are a um, more more of a handyman than we are, and you see this page on the uh, in the gallery post, let us know what that is. Yeah. Those are our um, debates, so to speak. But there's the friendly farewell, right? The team-up tradition in this book usually has had, even though Batman is involved, a friendly farewell. How does this one rate, though? Well, considering Batman was still going to turn him into the police and didn't tell Gordon that he helped him throughout the case, I don't think this is too friendly. Uh, Batman's one of those classmates who takes all the credit for a group project to suck up to the teacher. <laughs> It's hard making friends in a new city, you know. <laughs> Creeper's kind of sad, but I mean, man, doesn't necessarily put his best foot forward either. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but he had fun. He's laughing. <laughs> we'll take a break for a couple of promos and uh, we'll be back with our special features. Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. Since there are so many of us. We have a chance to do more than just put out fires. We can be proactive. We can do some real good in the world. JLUcast brings you coverage of Justice League Unlimited, the ultimate gathering of DC's heroes and villains, and the culmination of the greatest interpretation of the DC Universe ever. Join Chris and Cindy Franklin as they relive the team-ups, the battles, the conspiracies. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. The romance and the fun. A head start. You're getting soft in your old age. Don't you have a tall building to go leave? And the adventure continues. Find us wherever fine fire and water podcasts are available.
Coming soon from Amalgam Comics, that psychedelic beam hit Jack Ryder out of the blue and turned him into the man called Creeper. And for the past 12 issues, the universe has been content letting him bust heads and take names here on Earth. But as a new story arc begins, the Creeper Corps comes a-calling, and Jack realizes the universe is a much stranger place than he ever imagined. What do 10,000 simultaneous maniacal laughs sound like? You're not ready. Only from Amalgam Comics. We're back. Our monthly features start with the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes, in this case, a perfect Creeper team-up. What do you have? How about the Creeper and Robin? College-bound Dick Grayson meets with the Creeper who shares the same favorite colors, and he turns Dick onto the culture-smashing mod lifestyle of the late 60s. Imagine the Adams cover with Creeper showing how he's given Robin a makeover. In the foreground, Robin sits with long hair and mutton chops, a headband, beads around his neck, colored sunglasses over his domino mask, and a fringe red vest with completely bare sleeves as he flashes the peace sign at the readers. Batman responds, My ward is a hippie! <laughs> okay, yeah, good. That sounds like a Bob Haney script as well, so... <laughs> We don't have to disband the uh, the, the creative team. Right. <laughs> I will want here a three-way Ditko Fest. That teams up the Creeper with Spider-Man and Blue Beetle, Ted Kord. It's just agile people jumping around. Plus, Jack Ryder teams up with J. Jonah Jameson. And Beetle, the one not on the most wanted list, at first tries to apprehend the two. So he he believes the, the, the JJJ propaganda and he goes after Spider-Man and after the Creeper. And then, of course, they team up because uh, we're going to have Jay and Jonah have Spider Slayers, Beetle Slayers, Creeper Slayers in the story. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I would totally read that. Yeah. And, you know, J. Jonah Jameson never had a problem <laughs> sponsoring supervillains. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> So, okay, who's Brave and Bold next? Like, this is an indexing show, but it does jump around as inspired by the issue we're looking at now that's going to inspire the next one. So every episode, we explain the logic between this episode's guest star and the next. Chris, it's going to be your turn. Where to now, and how do you get us there? Okay, how about we go from Creeper to creep E and turn our attention to Brave and the Bold number 195 toward the very end of the series featuring Andrew Bennett, I Vampire by Mike W. Barr and Jim Aparo. Yes, I am into that. Although it's going to be hard to move back to superheroes from there. Uh, I've already started thinking about it. Oh, God. Um, it's going to be Man Bat, isn't it? Okay, so... <laughs> Okay, now it's time for feedback on our previous episode, Together, in which we covered Brave and the Bold, number 109, starring Batman and the Demon. Uh, let me start here with Bucky749, who says, I've actually read the Jack Kirby run of the Demon. My favorite appearance of the Demon is the Brave and the Bold episode with Sherlock Holmes. And you know, I was sure there was a Brave and the Bold comic book, Batman and Sherlock Holmes. I can't find it. It's not Brave and the Bold. It's Detective Comics. It's the 50th... Ah, that's, that's what it is. It's the 50th anniversary Detective, and it's like Batman, Robin, Sherlock Holmes, and uh, uh, Slam Bradley and Elongated Man all together. It's by Mike W. Barr and, and Alan Davis. Man, because I was going, oh, I, Vampire? Well, next up, that's Sherlock Holmes, right? <laughs> and it would have been Mike Barr as well. There would have been plenty of connections, you know, the... 
sort of the vampires, Dracula, Victorian era, mm-hmm. even though I think Andrew Bennett is from before, it's like the 16th century or something, but yeah, still. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, that's where I wanted to go and it's not possible. Oh man, it's too bad. Yeah, I think Ryan and I covered that on Nightcast back in the day. Yeah, I think that's where I remembered it from. Probably. Okay, okay. <laughs> Chris Pine wrote in to say, This was a really fun episode to listen to, and I'm glad there's a place for these pre-crisis DC books. I forgot that this version of Batman existed before his grim phase. It's so wild to read this kind of Batman story where he isn't vengeance. I half expected him to call someone chum. Jason Blood, a bit of a D-bag in a gaslighting chauvinist, huh? His women's intuition, women's lib jab, stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> hey, it was the times. Plus, you know, Jason Blood's like from what? Like, he's from Arthurian Middle times. Ages. Yeah, he's from the Middle Ages. So you can... The Dark Ages, I guess. He's yeah. from the Dark Ages, that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have Ido Bosnar says, always love it when you cover an issue that I actually have. Send me a list. <laughs> Make it easy on us. Yeah. It's one of the oldest books in my current collection, he says, because among other things, it gives me an excuse to go and reread it. And I really like this story, despite all of the legitimate criticisms you made in the show. But it's just so bonkers in a good way. And also really busy. So much crap happens in Gotham that night. I particularly love that one panel note that the GCPD was distracted by crooks pulling a heist at a gun shop. I guess we were lucky that Batman didn't get pulled off the the job so you could help at that one, you know, just like in this issue. Yeah, Gordon was bossing around in that one too, I guess, if you think about it, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Dr. Ange left a message. Uh, Perhaps the craziest thing of this issue is seeing the bad guy hanged at the end. Whenever I wonder why does my brain work the way it does, I am reminded of the bizarre imagery and stories that bombarded me in my youth. Well, now you've got a a gangster floating dead in a pool in this one. So there you go. Uh, Ange continues, I am mad jealous that you guys are talking Creeper next time. The Creeper is flat out awesome. Can't wait to listen. Well, I think you'll be happy that we all, that Siskoid and I both really appreciated the Creeper in this story. So I hope you did. Robert McCarthy uh, has uh, like a three-point letter. says, uh, one, Ange, uh, I love the Creeper too. Two, demonology must pay pretty well. It's in quite a good apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, also investments over over centuries, right? Uh, three, I get loving characters you don't read all the time. That's Hal Jordan for me. There you go. Gene Hendricks says, sorry, but my Arthurian lore side is kicking in. While it might seem that Merlin living at Arthur's birthplace might seem a little odd, there is a cave under the castle location near the water called Merlin's Cave. So that's probably where Haney got the idea. Since the cave fills up at high tide, I really don't think it should be a good base of operations, though. And uh, this was on the, the comment section. I responded, I don't dispute that Tintagel, or Tintagel, I guess it's supposed to be. Like I got corrected on that as well. Tintagel, I don't dispute that it's part of the lore, only that Kirby never used it as part of the series. So it's like it shows up suddenly, you know, in this issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gene responded to that, that Merlin had a vacation home and Kirby just didn't mention it. At least Zany Haney wasn't just pulling it out of thin air. (laughs) All right. Schooled. Yeah. Hashtag schooled. Uh, Gene's good at schooling people, you know, so. (laughs) He's a very knowledgeable guy. Noted film historian Rob Kelly writes, This issue is such an apero tour de force. Depending on the artist, the demon can look genuinely frightening like he does here or just merely weird. Kirby, 
Wagner, in my opinion. It gives this whole issue a horror movie vibe, a horror movie that just happens to have Batman in it. Just great stuff. Yeah, I can see that. There's very, it feels like a 70s kind of horror film, almost like a little Hammer-esque in this one, in that one. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's very moody. The whole story with the ship, and there's like a mini story in there, which kind of reminds me of... House of Mystery or, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Gray says, I had a look at this one in my B&B Omnibus Volume 1, and it looks awesome. Jim Apero really was at his best in the early 70s. The thing about Jason displaying lookalike portraits is indeed weird. Also, was he painted by an immortal artist? It's always in the same style, and there are no simplistic early medieval models. Why no cubist, Jason? <laughs> and uh, we note regarding pronunciation, oh, he's the one that said it's Tintagel. Mm, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, you're right. It's a uh, soft G before an E. You, I mean, in French, it's in English, it's not necessarily so, but in French, you always have a soft G in front of an E or an I, and then a hard G in front of a U or a O. Or an A. Oh, okay. um, and I should have respected that. But, uh, but it's not true in English because English doesn't understand how spelling works. I, I, you know, I hate, to, I hate to say this, but Tintagel sounds like a whitening toothpaste to me. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, um, you, something you put in your hair or your mouth or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I like Tintagel. Maybe it sounds more Lord of the Rings to me. Captain Edgebury writes in, A hypodermic full of sedative against a super strong rock-encrusted member of the undead? Really, Bats? Really? Yeah, really. Really, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of our letters uh, page. Thanks for teaming up with me, Chris. You want to tell people what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, Cindy and I are wrapping up the Cadmus arc over on JLUcast, which is the one of the greatest Justice League stories of all time, no matter the medium. So that's been really exciting. Pretty soon after that, we will launch our annual House of Franklin Stein series on Supermates, which returns every year. And that's where we cover a classic horror film and a monster like the monster in that film versus one of your favorite superheroes. So it's always a blast. And this is our 10th annual House of Franklin Stein, believe it or not. Oh, special. Yes. All right. A reminder that we we do have a Patreon. So if you like this content, want more like it, please think about making a monthly or one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. And this month, we're proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, the bold outlaw. And we do enjoy reading your thoughts. And the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. We'll read your comments on this issue when Chris is back with us. But next month, I'll be here with our friend Ryan Daly as we continue his coverage of Marvel 2-in-1 with annual number three of that title. Cool. On that, see you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, justice is a team effort. Thank you, Batman. They call me... Yellow-skinned Wacky Man!